Southeast Radio's morning mix. Chat, news, and your views. Alan Corcoran. Good morning, Alan. How are you? Now, I'm grand. You're uh, based in Nottingham as we speak this morning. Are you hopefully getting home for Christmas? I am indeed, yeah. I'm flying back next Tuesday evening, so looking forward to that. Right. Uh, uh, and you're over there. So tell us why you are in Nottingham as we speak this morning, Lydia. So I live over here now. I came over last year to complete my undergraduate degree at the University of Derby. Um, and once that was done, I moved over to Nottingham um, and I've been here ever since, pretty much. You've been very busy as well because, I mean, ultimately, what is the dream for you when you qualify? What do you hope to do? Well, I now work in sports communications and I also work as a freelance sports journalist. So realistically, I am doing what I had hoped to do when I came over to finish my degree, which is brilliant. I I went from studying just journalism in DIT in Dublin to then specialising in sports journalism. So Hmm. I'm lucky enough now to work in an industry that I really wanted to work in. Right. I'm linking in with you on this Thursday morning when England is on high alert at the moment. Have you seen much change when it comes to how they're tackling uh, Omicron, etc.? What's what's the vibe like in Nottingham as we speak? Because I know London, they're very concerned, aren't they? What's the situation in the Midlands? Um, To be honest, there has been a sense of normality here for quite a long time now, definitely since the summer anyway. now, I know I'm hyper aware I'm saying all this the day after we recorded the highest ever number of cases um, throughout the, since the beginning of the pandemic. So um, I think the changes that they've made, uh, I know that they're now asking for COVID passports at certain events and masks are being introduced again in a lot of public settings and the work from home advice has been reinstated. So the changes have been made, but I think they, they are quite small. Um, so it doesn't feel like any kind of drastic change has happened because the way we sort of go about our daily lives right. really hasn't altered all that much. And what do you make of the pace of life over there uh, compared to the pace of life here when you were studying? Um, I don't really see much of a difference, to be honest. I think there's so many Irish people over here. I'm lucky enough to have lots of Irish friends over here as well as English friends. And we kind of all, it doesn't feel any different really to, say, a Dublin, even though... Um, like it's not as maybe hectic as Dublin was when I was studying there, but Nottingham is a great city and East Midlands is a really nice part of the world to be in. So I'm I'm yeah. lucky to be here, yeah. Well, we've we got to get you to say hello to all your friends back here in Ireland in just a few moments' time. But one of the main reasons I'm talking to you is you're now a published author and you've contributed a chapter to a recently published book, Sports Media Vectors, Gender and Diversity, Reconstructing the Field. Tell me about the chapter and the time you spent putting it together to get it ready for the overall study. What's in it? So the chapter itself is called Where Equality Should Flow, Swimming as a Catalyst for Non-Gendered and Equality-Driven Media Coverage in Sport. So it's a bit of a mouthful, um, but I spent about six months writing it, I would say, from start to finish um, with lots of edits and things like that afterwards as well. But essentially, it is all about how I believe that swimming can act as a kind of template, if you like, for promoting equality-driven media coverage in sport. Um, I wrote this chapter off the back of my dissertation, which I did last year, which analysed the media coverage of male and female swimmers during the Rio 2016 Olympics. So the findings from that piece of work kind of acted as the the basis for this chapter, if you like, and it allowed me to explore swimming as a potential catalyst, as used that I've the word that I've used in the title, um, yeah. to promote this change. Okay, I mean, you have a passion for swimming, I'm led to believe, because Kieran Noble is a close friend of yours and he's, he's working beside me at the moment. He's part of our, 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 the Morning Mix team. Tell me about your passion about swimming. 
How strong is it? Um, very. I have slammed my whole life pretty much. I slammed competitively for many years and was lucky enough to um, train up in the High Performance Centre, it was called at the time anyway, in the National Aquatic Centre in Dublin. So I did that up until the age of 18. Um, I think I started swimming when I was, I don't know, maybe four or five and first race I think would have been six or seven. So it's kind of, yeah, very much in the um, the fabric of my life and has shaped a lot of who I am now and what I'm interested in now. So although I don't swim competitively anymore, I still very much have a passion for the sport. Um, I currently work in Swim England as well, which is the national governing body for yeah. aquatic sports in England. So it's very much still a big part of my life. And I guess this chapter, right. although my interest is um, within a sort of sports media, obviously swimming makes um, contributes a big part of that. But I suppose this chapter allowed me to look at swimming um, kind of as a, a neutral party, I guess, and just look at the, the sort of format of the sport and think actually yeah. there is this kind of natural parity within swimming. So men and women train together more often than not. They race alongside one another. So I know that when I was swimming anyway, I never felt like my male peers had any better opportunity than I did or were better off than I was. So I think there is that kind of natural parity that yeah. lends itself to promoting equality-driven media coverage in sport. But unfortunately from completing my dissertation, I found that that very much wasn't the case. Yeah, Yeah, because again, in the study overview, it says the key areas are the history of sport, existing barriers that continue to marginalise women in sport, women in positions of power within sport, and the issue of the lack of female sports journalists are some of the topics explored within the chapter. So Mm -hmm. what are some of the easy improvements then that could be made to change media, to change media coverage and to give uh, women more opportunity? Well, I think um, in the chapter, I definitely explore the, the sort of easy improvements, as you said, the, the tangible aims, I think, that are could be changed, could be made and I suppose independently might not seem all that significant, but collectively would make a big difference. So I think one of the, the big ones is the language used. Um, in my dissertation, uh, I found that the male athletes were more often than not referred to as being powerful and strong and dominant whereas those kind of words and that type of language wasn't afforded to the female athletes as frequently as it was to their male peers so that's something that I think as as journalists as media professionals or anyone really who contributes to the news um, it's a kind of conscious decision to say that whatever language you're using in relation to male athletes use the same for female athletes they're as strong they're as competitive they're as impressive um, and there shouldn't really be a difference in the type or the tone of language that's used in relation to them. Mm-hmm. Another one is the success and sort of disappointments of female athletes. I found that it was, I guess, the successes for male athletes were kind of championed a little bit more, um, whereas female success wasn't highlighted as, as being as impressive. Or, in fact, what happened um, on a number of occasions was that the success of a female athlete was actually spoken about in the context of a male athlete. So I think Casey Ledecky, who is probably a swimmer that a lot of people would be aware of just because of um, how fantastic she is. She's multiple world record holder, Olympic champion. She is one of those athletes kind of at the pinnacle of her sport and has been for many years. And her success uh, at the Rio 2016 Olympics was actually spoken about in the context of Tiger Woods and what he had done at a like an yeah. event a few years previous, and it just was something that felt almost unnecessary because her success is certainly something that stands 
alone. It doesn't need the kind of support of a, a male athlete to contextualise it or to, yeah. to sort of make it sound better than it already is on its own. So there's, there's definitely, um, I think, minor changes that can be made very easily. Mm-hmm. And as I said, collectively would, would paint a much better picture of the sport and of the media coverage that's afforded to us. Pleasure to talk to you, Lydia. I know you've got strong roots with Camolan and County Wexford. Wish you well for the future. It's the first time speaking to you. I've got the feeling it won't be the last. I think we're going to hear a lot from you. You've got uh, great vision and I wish you the very best to look for the future. Who would you like to say hello back uh, in Camolan to here? Lydia Ferrari Kyo. I'm sure you're tired of people wanting to know about the Ferrari connection. Is there a connection to the motoring family? Unfortunately not. No, no. but it is my mum's maiden name. Um, and yeah, so just say hello to all of them back home. And yeah. That I'm looking forward to seeing them next week. Well, safe flight, and I hope uh, wish you well for the future. Thank you very much. Southeast Radio's morning mix: chat, news, and your views.